Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Roshvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is Camille Samuels. She's a partner at Venrock Ventures, where she focuses on healthcare with an emphasis on biotech, medical devices, and consumer health. Prior to Venrock, Cammy was a managing director at Versant Ventures. Before her venture career, she worked in business development at Tularic. During her early career, she worked in corporate development at Genzyme and Millennium Predictive Medicine and was a management consultant at LEK Consulting. She has earned her bachelor's degree in biology from Duke University and an MBA from Harvard Business School, where she graduated as a Baker Scholar. Welcome to the show, Cammy. It's a real pleasure to have you on. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Jumping right in, would love to start a little bit on a personal note. Um, wanted to know how your personal upbringing, your family, your parents especially, inspired and impacted your professional decisions. It's an interesting question. I appreciate you asking it. I think more than anything, I was influenced by my dad's career. He was a poor kid from upstate New York who uh, had a failed thesis coming out of MIT where he, he was trying to put plastic on clotheslines. Most people didn't have washer, washer dryers and so they would dry their clothes on clotheslines and he didn't want them to rot in the weather. He failed to do that, but he by mistake invented plastic bags and um, he, set up a business. He actually then went into World War II and was in Patton's Third Army and had a fascinating career there. But when he came back, he set up a business around his plastic bag idea in an abandoned schoolhouse in upstate New York. Um, and it became a successful plastics business. He actually brought his dad and his brother into the business. He sold it relatively early. Um, and then spent the rest of his career mostly in public service. Uh, he ran the SBA um, and failed, but tried running for governor three times in New York. And he, he constructed a framework around learning, then earning, and then giving back for, for different periods of his life. I really appreciated the focus on learning. I had a sort of an erudite French mother and this um, classic uh, uh, Jewish father who was really focused on education. So that first part, the learning was something I really appreciated. And my parents gave me a gift of a wonderful education. Um, but the notion that you had to separate uh, doing good and doing well, um, I kind of rejected. And so one of the reasons I'm a healthcare geek, I mean, so first of all, he was a science geek and I think I inherited his brain. Two, he was an entrepreneur. And I think I've uh, been fascinated by entrepreneurship. Um, and then three, this notion that you might be able to do well by doing good um, was something that I sort of brought to the equation such that you know, bringing medicines to humanity is something that really motivates me. And when I turn 80, which feels closer and closer every day, um, I want to be able to look back at my career and know that I contributed. So uh, my mom, on the other hand, was frankly more higher IQ than my dad. Um, but she, after I was born, became a housewife. And over time, she got sad as her children stopped needing her and um, 
And so she was very conventional. She introduced herself as Mrs. Howard Samuels, not Lulette Samuels. Um, and so in many ways, I'm a reaction to my mom's intellect, but underperformance professionally, because I think it actually made her a sad person later in life. And I didn't want to be that. Um, and I honestly thought it was underutilized potential. And I should, oh, the last thing I should say is my dad died when I was 13. And so we all are supposed to go through this process of kicking our parents off a pedestal as teens. But since he died, I just turned 13. Um, that never happened. And so some of the perhaps inelegant admiration you hear about in my description of my father's career is partially because I never kicked him off that pedestal. That's, that's a pretty great story. And I think this is one of the more um, personal story turned into career that we've heard on the podcast so far. Um, really interesting. Um, so um, jumping into a little bit of your career, after your operating roles in business development and corporate strategies, how did you decide to move to investing? You touched on it a little bit with your philosophy of um, doing good and doing well. Um, how did you find the right fund for you to be able to do that? Yeah, so I mean, so first, how, how do you decide to go into investing and to which fund? Um, on going into invest, investing, um, you guys would laugh if you found my essays applying to HBS. They were all about how I was going to be a CEO of a biotech company. Like I was 100% sure and I was weaving a tale and that tale was she's going to be a CEO of a biotech company. So how do I end up with now a 20-year career in venture capital. And the answer is that even when I went into VC, I thought it was a means to an end. I thought it was a great way to build out my network, learn how startups work. And I thought I was gonna be in VC two, three years and then go out and be a president of a raw startup or something. That was sort of my plan. And, um, but two to three days into the job, I fell in love with the job in and of itself. And here I am, right? Um, as to which fund and how I ended up at Versant initially, I'll say that one, I was lucky that my job running BD at Tularic had caused me to be become friends with a bunch of VCs. Friendly, I wouldn't say friends, but I knew a bunch of venture capitalists. And what happened, and this is such ancient history for you guys, but useful perhaps, um, internet 1.0 in the late 90s um, crashed in early 2000. And what originally happened is it didn't really crash, it just really softened. And some of the capital that had been going into tech moved into biotech. And so suddenly biotech, which had been in sort of a nuclear winter for a while, got very hot all these funds started wanting to have some junior people to help them do the work and folks knew me. And so I kind of bumped into my first offer. And I know that's crazy because people pursue venture careers with such rigor, but this was a mistake functionally. Um, but I, uh, I ended up with three offers. I actually pursued the offer with Versant because I kept hearing about what a great group of people it was. And the answer as to why I chose Versant in the end um, was the people. And um, you know, if I'm really honest, I wrote a pro-con list that yielded a yes to another venture firm. And I actually called them and accepted verbally. 
And then I slept on it and woke up knowing that I'd made absolutely the wrong decision. And I had to call them back up and say, oh, oh no, no, I'm so sorry. Um, and I know I've never looked back on the decision on Versant. And so I knew I'd get great mentorship from Versant, but there's an intangible that I never identified at the time, but that's important given the topic of this podcast. There were two female partners at Versant, okay? And then when I got into VC, VC was 4% women, right? Two female partners was just this extraordinary thing. The other two firms didn't have, I don't even know if they even had principal level women, right? And so again, I never consciously identified it, but I believe that I felt more comfortable and more empowered in a firm that had two female partners. This is so exciting. And thank you for sharing this, Cami. Really appreciate it. Uh, the two things you said, which really struck a chord with me was, like you said, you bumped into the fund because you worked at a previous previous venture, which was one of the portfolios and worked as business development. I think we've heard a few guests also mention how they get introduced to funds and overall investing world in general through their operating roles at portfolio companies. So that definitely sounds like one of the means to getting into investing world altogether. Um, and the second thing you said, like, it's about the people and it's about the the gut and you just know it. Uh, and somewhere now in hindsight, you, you realize that it was probably the bias that you could see similar faces, like you could see women who you could look up to and get guidance from. Um, and that became like one of the reasons to choose worsened over others. Really uh, inspiring. Um, we need mirrors in life, right? And without mirrors, uh, I am focused on this a lot with children. Without a mirror, a child does not think that they can become um, that thing that, they, that they're seeking. Yeah, and if I may add, um, the last point you made is the exact reason why we're promoting having more female mentors, right? Because you have the subconscious bias that, you know, there are people with similar experiences uh, as you or, um, you know, personalities as you, and you tend to go towards those people. And I think historically, that's why the VC industry has been so male dominated. It's, it was the same circle of people. Um, so you made a really good point and it's a perfect example of why we're doing this podcast and why there's so many initiatives to get women to a mentor level, a role model level. Love this conversation. Yeah. One of our, our partners who'd been at Venrock since 1974 retired last week. Uh, so Venrock's been around for 51 years and, you know, frankly, was original investor in Apple and Intel and then Gilead and IDAC and all these. What I love is the history is, is these meaningful, impactful companies over time and it continues to this day. So this unbelievable gentleman, Tony, Tony Evnen, finally um, genuinely retired. He's been threatening it for a long time last week. And one of the things he said was when he got into venture, there were 12 venture firms in the world. And it just struck me as here's this, it, it didn't intend to be sort of this sexist environment. It was just this clubby place where everybody knew each other, right? And particularly back then, men tend to hire whom they know and who do they know, but other white men. Um, and so anyway, it was the hearing him and he's as open-minded and progressive and supportive a person as you could possibly imagine when hearing him talk about what venture looked like when he got into it was fascinating and so i talked about four percent women today 14 percent of women in venture firms have the power to put money to work 
I love this conversation and we're going to circle this back in our follow-up questions, but I want to quickly touch upon a little bit more about your professional career. Uh, you, your time in investing is evident about how you're interested in healthcare and biotech, and you spoke a little bit about it as well. Uh, but looking in the near future, I'm excited that I'm excited to know that what is it that you look forward to upcoming in the healthcare ecosystem, especially from the lens of being an investor. Sure. So a couple of comments on that. One, we at Venrock tend to overlay a conscious focus on being opportunistic in addition to being strategic. And that's a somewhat irreverent thing to say. There's lots of firms, frankly, my previous firm, we had strategy sessions every three months and we had themes and so on. But there's a certain humility that I think we all need to bring to looking at potential opportunities, which is that there are hundreds of thousands of scientists and entrepreneurs out there and only you know six private healthcare or early stage healthcare investors at Venrock, right? And so why would we think that we do a better job at predicting the future or knowing 100% of what we should be looking for than those hundreds of thousands of people? So the first thing I'm going to say is exactly the opposite of what you were looking for, which is that we are consciously opportunistic. We try to keep our antenna open and uh, think slowly as opposed to thinking fast in the Daniel Kahneman way um, about new opportunities and be open. Having said that, we all have certain areas of science or certain areas of clinical unmet needs that roll our socks up and down. I, for instance, have a passion around orphan disease. So that's rare diseases that hit less than 200,000 patients. Um, I think my passion around them has to do with um, if you solve the biology, you can often meaningfully impact uh, the disease. So for instance, Venrock had a company called Avexis that I was involved in the diligence on that uh, was working on a disease called SMA or spinal muscular atrophy. And frankly, Vexus used to have a video of what the child children typically looked like. They were floppy and died by age 14 months. And then they had a video of Mateo who got the drug when he was born, bless you. And he, um, he, the video is of him toddling around with a Spider-Man backpack at age three and a half and pressing an elevator button. Not a dry eye in the house. And the notion of being that impactful, I mean, literally a child born with a death sentence who was gonna die at 14 months of age versus Mateo may well have a a pretty healthy, normal life. That really, um, it's why I get out of bed in the morning. Other disease areas that I'm interested in include ophthalmology um, and immunology. And I'll say that platform wise, our firm is gone pretty strong into gene therapy. Avexis was a gene therapy. And I'm really interested in novel payloads being carried inside gene therapy vectors, which is probably gobbledygook to most of your audience, but um, but it's novel ways of using gene therapy that is now a, a validated platform and that has been really helping human humanity. Nice. That's... Um... I can feel the passion just by you talking. So um, that's amazing. Um, I want to switch back a little bit uh, to the conversation about gender parity. And we touched on your observations uh, when it comes to um, gender in the industry. So maybe we can switch more to what kind of advice would you give to young women hoping to break into the industry? 
Sure. So I gave some implicit advice, uh, which was look, pay attention to the culture of the venture firm. Ideally, there would be women there, but there's some other features as well. So at Venrock, for instance, actually every single male partner at Venrock has a female child. And they've done studies that say that, that uh, male partners at venture firms are more open to investing in women once they have female children. I, by the way, only have two boys. Um, so I'm the only partner who has an all male offspring. Um, but having a female partner isn't as influential on the open-mindedness of a male venture capitalist as having female children, which I think is really interesting. So we're a very family-oriented fund. Um, exercise is a big part of the culture of the place and we're kind of geeky. Uh, and so you think about a firm where the drugs are caffeine and endorphins as opposed to drugs, drugs sex and rock and roll as it is in some um, venture firms. I think that if you're a, a woman who plans someday to have a family and um, will need some level of balance in her life, uh, being in a place where the culture is where it's okay for you to say, hey, guys, I'm trying to have dinner at 6 p.m. with my kids tonight. Uh, I'll be back online. You know, don't get me wrong. We work really hard at Venrock. Um, but where it's okay to talk about having a family and to tell stories um, about your kids and so on, I think that's really important. Other things I'll say, when I was at HBS, HBS was only 24% women and it had that sort of 40 year history of Mormon deans, right? And, um, and I think I was blessed with being a little self, I had fewer self-critical voices in my head than most women in, in my class. I honestly think that's why I was a Baker scholar was I just was a little more fearless um, in a context that was fear inducing. Um, HBS in those days, it is still to this day, but for women in particular, it was fear inducing. Fast forward into venture. I think that that little bit of fearlessness has helped me um, stop being self-critical, stop having the voices in your head, focus on where you, what you're missing and instead focus on what you're bringing to the table. And that could include integrity. It doesn't have to be just, you know, aggression or analytics uh, or network. Uh, I think that honestly, you can stand out as an investor. Um, you can be in the top 50% by just being high integrity and putting the company first. Appreciate that so much, Cami, and love your first point because being family oriented is is really a great culture because it also puts everything on the same platform, right? There are male partners who also have families and commitments to families and, and hence also are expected to be off at times if they are with family or other way around and stuff like that. So really love that culture. And your second point being fearless, I think we've heard this enough now and really appreciate it that you just, the, the, the world of investing or the, the industry of investing is a lot about just bringing your voice to the table, just having opinions, having opinions on where the market is moving, where the trends are moving in terms of tailwinds for your business, but also, like you said, bringing integrity or, or being fearless uh, about just what you feel about industry or otherwise as well on the table. Uh, so appreciate that quite a lot. Um, just to follow up on what you shared, um, a little bit more about progressing up at venture funds, right? And that's something we've uh, heard a lot that it, how it gets harder, probably more for women. Um, and would love to know more from your experience about 
uh, what should women be careful about as they plan their transitions or even conversations about their own promotions um, at once? So I'm going to tell the story, my story, which doesn't help very much, and then the story of, of Raquel Bracken, who's another partner at Venrock, and I think that'll be more helpful. My story is honestly, you know, I told you that biotech had been in um, a nuclear winter, functionally, and then I got into Versant, and there was kind of a vacuum of biotech capability the firm. There were two partners who were biotechies and the rest were focused on other areas in healthcare. And so suddenly biotech was booming. I saw an opportunity, I filled the vacuum. And frankly, they came to me six months into my career and we said, we, and said, we know we told you this wasn't a partner track position, but we'd like to make you a partner in the next fund. Um, so I didn't have to ask for anything. And if anything, I was your sort of stereotype of a young woman in that I, I didn't ask any follow-up questions. I was, we were on a hike when I was uh, up in Tahoe on an offsite. And I literally was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm not gonna ask any questions because I don't want to jinx it, right? So if anything, my story of promotion was, it's better to be lucky than good. And I wasn't assertive in asking for my needs. Having said all that, um, and my, I was a, a part of the process of Raquel Brecken joining us as a vice president and then being promoted to a full partner. And I would say that um, to a certain extent, she quacked like a duck too, right? She just looked like a partner in her activities, um, but she was more um, she was not aggressive, but she was certainly um, identified her accomplishments in an articulate way and, um, you know, still less than your typical man, but there was a little more chest thumping out of Raquel and a little bit of, of you know, humble, um, self-deprecating way she identified her, her accomplishments, her network, and all the things that made her look like she'd be a really high potential partner. Um, and she got that promotion, frankly, while she was acting CEO of one of our companies and six months pregnant. Um, so it was just this wonderful confluence of things simultaneously and indicative of that she's kind of a superwoman. <laughs> I'm absolutely uh, surprised at that because we don't have a lot of those stories, right? Um, but yeah, she does sound like a superwoman to me. Um, thank Harvard you undergrad, by the way, if you want to think about oh, her. Amazing. Yeah, she definitely follow up with her. Um, amazing. So we're pretty much done with uh, our set of questions for today, but we do want to do uh, a fun segment, which is just a bunch of short, fun questions. And we'll start easy. Um, so the first one is coffee or tea for you. Tea, chai. I'm a big chai fan, actually. <laughs> That's Me amazing. Too. Um, uh, the most recent book that you read that really inspired you? It intrigued me is what I'll say. So I'm reading Obama's book right now. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I'm listening to it on uh, Audible. Um, but I just read the most recent Adam Grant, Think Again. Um, and I, I love Adam Grant's sort of voice and I love psychology it is a, as it applies to business and, and other things. But th there's just a huge theme that comes out in the book that I believe you will have heard from me over the course of this podcast, which is, um, frankly, the moment we are operating by heuristic and think that uh, we're 
awesome, um, as opposed to thinking slowly and um, having humility. If, we're, if we think we're too great, then we cease being thoughtful and good. Um, and so think again, fast read, could have been a 12 page article, but, um, but it's easy as a fast read. And Adam Grant's voice is, is fun, it's, it's entertaining. Amazing. Um, and just staying on the topic of books, if we were, someone were to write a book about you, what would the title be and why? Oh, that's a hard one. You should have <laughs> given me that one ahead of time. Um, humbled by motherhood. <laughs> Work is easy, but motherhood is hard, man. <laughs> um, uh, the social geek relative to work. I, I always tell people, I walk into, let's say it's a biotech cocktail party, right? These are folks with PhDs and MDs by and large. I'm generally the least educated person in the room. Um, I walk into a biotech co cocktail party and I may not be the most intelligent, but I can certainly hold my own. And I'm not the most social, but I know everyone in the room. And it's the union of the two where I think I get my power alley as an investor. I'm a great recruiter. I hear about trends early and I that geekiness helps me um, be a thought partner to my CEOs. Great. Thank you so much, Kami, for joining us today. Um, this, was, this conversation was very fun for us and I'm sure for our listeners too, and very insightful. Um, I loved all the examples and the stories that you shared with us. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. It was an honor and I hope it's helpful to you or, or someone in your audience. Take care.